You're listening to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund podcast. The CBLDF podcast is part of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund's ongoing education and program mission. My name is Alex Cox, and in this episode, we talk to Brian Stelfries, an industry veteran and cartoonist extraordinaire who is currently working on the revival of Black Panther with Tahanisi Coates. He's interviewed by our editorial director, Betsy Gomez, and they touch on a number of things, including racial politics in the comic book industry, his love for the character Black Panther, and the pressure and thrill of working with such an accomplished author as his collaborator on this book. This is a short episode, and if you keep up with this podcast, you'll notice that we had kind of a delay between episodes. Uh, There's been a number of technical difficulties, among other things, but we're back on track, and we have some great interviews lined up for the next couple of months, and we hope that you will visit us on iTunes and click like and five stars and all of the above and give us good reviews and tell your friends to download or otherwise listen to the podcast because we try to make it as compelling as possible and we hope you do enjoy it. So without further introduction, here is Betsy Gomez, CBLDF Editorial Director, speaking to Brian Stelfries. Hello everyone, my name is Betsy Gomez. I'm the Editorial Director for the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Today I'm speaking with Brian Stelfries, cover artist extraordinaire and the artist for the new Black Panther series from Marvel Comics. How you doing, Brian? Oh, doing fantastic. Good to hear. All right, let's uh, let's uh, start with a softball, and by softball I mean a hardball. What was <laughs> it like? Uh, what was it like for black content and creators when you first got into comics? I think uh, it was uh, it was pretty pretty open when I first got into comics, um, but uh, but there were just wasn't a, a lot of content um, when I uh, got into comics. The uh, the strange thing about when I got in is it was before the days of the internet and uh, and you know all that stuff. So to a large extent, you really had no idea uh, who was black, who was white, you know, uh, unless you know there was like. Uh, obvious in the name or something like that. So, uh, you know, with uh, with my name, it was kind of no one really knew, and it's uh, it's only like within the last ten years that people have discovered that I'm a black guy. That's interesting. How's the uh, how how do you feel like the internet has uh, changed that conversation beyond making it easier for people to identify you as black? Uh, well, I think uh, in in a lot of ways, it's uh, it's really opened things up. Uh, I think. Uh, as a as a kind of a, a guy wanting to get into comics, there wasn't really any. Uh, I mean, there was there was inspiration, artistic inspiration, but uh, but there wasn't any any black guys that I knew that you know was doing comics, and I can go, yeah, that guy. You know, I can I can kind of follow his work or anything like that. So um, so I think now um, I get like young black guys coming up to me at uh, you know uh, guys and girls coming up to me at conventions uh, for inspiration and uh, and we have that conversation and that's something that didn't exist uh, I think uh, 20 30 years ago so let's talk about Black Panther a little bit uh, what's it like to take on one of the most respected and well-known black superheroes huh. it's a uh, it's actually kind of cool um, Black Panther is he's one of those characters that uh, that 
you don't he doesn't have a regular comic out or anything like that but everyone knows and and kind of surprisingly everyone really respects the uh the character and it's it's a character that i've always had an affinity for growing up and uh it's kind of cool to be on uh that character uh, and and it's like that was a character that was you know he was a black character but he was really there wasn't any any racial stuff around him there wasn't like you know like something like Luke Cage who spoke in ebonics and uh and you know had like chains on his wrists and and ankles uh he was black panther was uh was kind of royalty he was he was a very respectable uh black character so it was uh it was he wasn't part of the black exploitation movements uh that came into movies and comics in uh in the late 60s and 70s so it was uh it was a uh, because he was such a respectable character i mean we always uh really liked him and uh and now it's so much fun uh to kind of jump in there on it especially with uh with Tanahisi Coates doing the writing i mean a lot of it comes down to black panther looking so hella cool right Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, and I think one of the things that I think is cool about the character is he's simple. He's, it's one of the most simplest costumes in comics, and uh, and it's kind of fun because it's it's like if you can draw a naked guy, you've got Black Panther. You know? <laughs> so what's it like working with Tanahisi Coates? Uh, you know, he's best known outside of comics uh, for his political com- commentary and for his prose work examining the relationships between father and son and how race influences those relationships. It's some pretty heady stuff that he's coming from and he's bringing that into comics. So so what's it like working with him? Well, um, before I started working with him, I was uh, incredibly nervous uh, because you know, the stuff that he that he does, I mean, I believe you can do a comic based on that stuff, but it's a very independent comic if you did that. Um, but here he is working on a Marvel superhero comic. So I was uh, I was really nervous because comics is a different style of writing and it's a different style of storytelling. And I think a lot of the uh, screenwriters that come into comics, they have a tendency to overwrite stuff. They kind of put more emphasis on what people are saying and less emphasis on what people are doing. And uh, the artist's role is almost superfluous at that point. So I had that nerve. Uh, from the beginning, but when I read his first script, uh, all of that changed. Uh, he really is doing a comic book, which which is really exciting. Given Tanahisi's background and uh, issues today, like with movements with Black Lives Matter and conversations about racial inequity, are there influences from those movements within Black Panther? Yeah, yeah, I think uh I think there are. I think uh that type of stuff uh, affects him, that type of stuff affects me and uh, as you know with uh with creators if uh if that stuff affects us, it makes it through our art. Uh he's not directly dealing with it. Uh I mean uh, at at no point uh is there going to be anyone holding up a Black Lives Matter poster in uh, Black Panther, but uh but there are some influences from it. So uh, in your experience, um, how has content by and about black people been treated differently from the perspective of censorship and self-censorship in comics, in the wider world? Uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a difficult question to, uh, to take on, uh, ma- mainly because uh, I think um, comics, surprisingly, has been 
incredibly open. Uh, I think uh, I think comics is has really been accepting of a lot of uh, different creators, a lot of, and and it's probably because of the fact that comics, uh, when you compare them to other industry, uh, we're we're dealing with thousands and thousands of dollars, whereas um, you know, the other industry, movie industry, um, music industry, they're often dealing with billions of dollars. So uh, so comics, and it's such a small community, also. Uh, I mean, you can get into comics and just about know everyone in the business uh, within a, a few years, and we all meet up at conventions and, and things like that. So, so I think uh, overall uh, there isn't like a a dramatic racial bias or anything like that. I think uh, it just so you know it's it, it's kind of a, a weird situation. I, I've never been hard discriminated against. Uh, I think because comics. Uh, creators, comics publishers, don't think that there's a large black audience out there. They have a tendency not to do stuff for what they believe is a, a small or boutique um, readership. Which means we still have work to do, right? We have we have a ton of work to do. Uh, I think the uh, the cool thing about it is is I, I really consider comics like this sort of different storytelling form, this different art form. Uh, it occupies this, this really neat space that's between novels and uh, movies. It's a visual medium, but at the same time, it's something that you read. So a lot of the action, a lot of the moments takes place in your head, like when you're reading novels. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's a different art form. And I think uh, comics is suitable for expressing a lot of different stories. Um, and uh, And I think there's an open audience that's uh, that's ready for it. I mean, when you take a look at the uh, comics industry in in Japan compared to the comics industry here, I mean, we're getting there. I mean, we're we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of progressive stuff coming out of comics, but uh, but I think it's it's going to take a while before it becomes as ubiquitous as I'd like it to be. So um, there's a trend that CBLDF has noted and the American Library Association has noted. Uh, in the books that are most frequently censored. Uh, this isn't just the case for comics, it's the case for books just in general, um, in that books by creators from underrepresented demographics featuring minority characters or unfamiliar religions or gender identities are more likely to be targeted by censorship. Why do you think that is? Um, I think that that's probably because uh, you have a, a situation where like if if the community is white and all of the censors in the community are white, um, they see things that are white as just quiet. But when something from another race comes in, when something from another religion comes in, then it sort of makes them notice. So so I think it's it's just it's more attention is paid to that stuff. You really look at uh, you really look at anything that's different, and uh, and I think you can have a book with white characters doing oftentimes the same thing a book with black characters are doing, but because they're white characters, the book isn't noticed. But now, you know, you put um, black characters, Muslim characters in there, then it becomes a really big deal. So, uh, so I, I, think, I think, you know, the people around you, uh, the people that you grow up with tend to be invisible. And if those people are all of one race, then they tend to be invisible. But you pay attention to things 
when they're different. What would you uh, tell these people who are trying to censor the books? I'd say get out there more. You know, I'd say I'd say um, have a a, a broader um, group of friends, a broader group of uh, associates. I'd say get to know uh, more uh, black people, more Muslims, more. You know, I mean, one of the things that's uh, that I, that really was helpful to me is my dad was military, so every three years we would uproot and move to a different location, sometime in the south, sometimes in the uh, in the north. So the group of people that I grew up with was constantly changing and constantly diverse. There would be a bunch of times where I would be in a school and I'd be the only black person in the entire school, but there'd be other times where I'd be uh, in a school and the demographic was more Spanish. So, um, so it's, uh, it's honestly, I didn't notice uh, that dramatic a difference between the people themselves. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we're all kind of the same uh, group, you know. Have you uh, ever faced censorship yourself or caught yourself self-censoring? Hmm? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think, I think you, you really, um, really can't can avoid it. Uh, as, as a creator, especially if you, if you want to cast a large voice, uh, sometimes, you know, you get, uh, you get caught. You know, sometimes, and there are times where, quite honestly, I, I've I've tried to go for it. Um, like uh, Adam Hughes and I have these things we call lightning rods, where it's just like we'll just put something in the book or or you know sort of say something that we know the editor's going to catch. And oftentimes the editors catch them, but if the editor doesn't, hey, we pulled it off, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So there are a bunch of harried editors out there in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, it's, and it's our job to justify their jobs. <laughs> uh, well, so thank you so much for speaking with us today, Brian. Do you have any final thoughts on free expression and censorship? Well, I think um, for free expression and, and censorship, uh, that's kind of a yin yang that I think will always be there. I think we'll we'll never get to a point where everyone will come to a decision of what uh, what speech should be. And I think because of that, creators should always push the boundaries. Uh, they they should constantly try to say something, especially if what they're saying is just not to blow things up, but to really kind of bring about thought. Uh, and those voices will constantly um, be censored. They'll, they'll, they'll constantly, there will be constant attempts to quiet them. But, uh, but I think, you know, people should, should keep doing it uh, because what ultimately happens is the bar gets raised higher and higher and higher every time somebody bumps, it, uh, bumps up against it. Um, so I think it is, it's important for creators to constantly bump up against that thing and really shake things up. Uh, I think it's uh, it's kind of cool when you see movies, when you see novels, and even when you see comics today that are about such a broad range of things. Um, it's it's cool for me to see lesbian characters, for me to see transsexual characters uh, in comics and in movies, and to the point now where a gay character on television is really not that big a deal at all. I mean, I, I think. I think it's really cool when we all become invisible, when we all become part of the whole, 
and uh, and no one kind of sticks their head up as being uh, the other. Yeah, we've come a, a long way from Captain Kirk and Uhura sharing an interracial kiss. On the <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it's 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 kind of interesting that 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 is meaningless today, and and the fact that it's meaningless is really cool. But it actually took them really pushing against the censors to make that happen. Uh, so so it's kind of it's kind of uh, nice as a as a creator and especially as a, as a creator of color it's really nice that a lot of people have come before me and done some exciting things so i have not only a a, a pre-blazed trail but i have like a an eight lane highway that i can i can run down you know but i'm still going to you know make attempts from time to time to push the boundaries a little bit if i can yeah you're going to you're going to expand that highway like i35 <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so, and yeah, and, and the cool the cool thing is is you know the cool thing is it's it's really comfortable to know that uh, that if I do get caught out, you know, I can call up you guys and say, hey, bail me out. <laughs> you know, well, that's that's one of the reasons why I, I think it's uh it's important, um, like uh, to to give donations to you guys and stuff like that. Uh, to a certain extent, I see that as insurance. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And that's a fact of life. Uh, yeah. If people disagree about free speech, we're going to have a job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that would be that would be the 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 great sadness is for you guys to have to close down. You know, we 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 dream of that day as an idyllic utopia, but I don't think we'll ever see it come to pass. Oh no, <laughs> no, no. I think um and. You know, and I don't want to, you know, kind of derail things, but I think uh, especially when you when you take a look at uh, the political discourse uh, that's happening right now, it's it's clear that um, that like divisiveness, it's clear that censorship, it's clear that bigotry is is really definitely um, not on the decline in any way, shape, and form. Yeah. Fortunately, we still got a lot of work to do in that department too. Oh. Mm, uh, well, you know, I'm going to push it. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, we appreciate the support. And for those who are listening, please support CBLDF's mission to defend free speech by visiting cbldf.org. Uh, and if you guys do find yourself in trouble, give us a call, 1-800-99-CBLDF. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thank you. I want to thank Brian for joining us on the podcast, and we hope you check out Black Panther number one. It's a terrific issue, and in fact, we have a variant cover by the great Todd Knock available from our member stores. The Comic Book Legal Defense Fund podcast is made possible by the Gaiman Foundation and by donors like yourself. You can always donate and learn more about our work by visiting cbldf.org. That is our daily news blog, edited uh, by Miss Betsy Gomez, who you just heard from in the preceding podcast. Thanks again to everyone for listening, and check back in with CBLDF Podcast. We have a lot of good content coming up in 2016, and we hope that you will check us out. Our theme music is by Django Reinhardt. My name is Alex Cox. I'm the editor and producer of this podcast. Betsy Gomez was your interviewer. Brian Stelfreeze was the guest, and we hope you enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks.